When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My dear friend and poet Amina Brown once said that our souls hold massive record collections. Melodies, rhythms, and bass lines. Memories that ask you to dance and memories that haunt you in a minor key. Lies that become soundtracks to your days while truths play too softly to be heard. I think this idea is profound and and honestly, maybe a little bit too deep for me. (laughs) And luckily... Amina Brown joins me on the podcast today to talk about why hurtful words of others and the failures of our past often determine what record we play the most in our minds. These painful repetitions can become too loud at the most inopportune time, keeping us from speaking up, pursuing our dreams, and joining in the music. I'm so excited that she's here to share her story on Sounds Good today. Amina is an author, a spoken word poet, a speaker, an event host. She's the author of five spoken word albums and two nonfiction books. And she performs and speaks at events from coffee houses to arenas with a mix of poetry, humor, and storytelling. I'm super humbled and honored by the fact that Amina took the time out of her crazy tour and traveling schedule and sat down and talked with me about why she's so passionate about the art that she makes and the life that she lives. I am Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good, the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. So without any further ado, let's just jump straight into the conversation. Oh my gosh, Amina, I'm so excited to be talking with you today. We uh, we got to see each other at a story conference here in Nashville just like a month or two ago. We were both speaking um, and we met for the very first time. And, and oh my gosh, I feel like we hit it off. I feel like we had a good time. We totally hit it off. I was like, oh my gosh, Brandon and his wife are our people. Like we immediately started talking about food, which is just yes. super important to me. You know, That's the way to my heart. Just, yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, there are people. They could like go eat fried chicken with us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we were recommending uh, Ed Lee's Barbecue, which is our favorite in Nashville. It was delicious. We didn't get to have it in Nashville, but I did text your wife. We were oh, yeah. in Kentucky. And I was like, I don't even know if she remembers that she gave me her phone number. So she might be getting this like random picture of me and my husband (laughs) eating barbecue. Like, who is this? (laughs) I'm sure she remembered it was you. That's amazing. I wanted to ask you, this is is maybe more of a, a personal question because I was, this is something I'm like trying to figure out right now, but you travel and you speak a lot. Like I, I travel a little bit. I, I mean, I've looked at the schedule on your website and like you're pretty go, go, go. I mean, first I want to ask like, how's travel been recently? Like, how are you liking that? But then also ultimately what I want to get at is how are you taking care of yourself while you travel? Uh, because I'm about to hit like 
crazy travel season. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm talking with Amina on the podcast. Like, let's just talk a little bit about self-care and travel real quick. Oh, man, it's so important. And I think for me, um, I sort of walk the line between what a band does and what a speaker does. So it's almost like my travel schedule falls in between, whereas a lot of my friends who are in bands, they have more of like a touring schedule where it's like, I'm going on a tour for six weeks and I will be playing five to six days each of those weeks and I'll be on a bus and then I'll come home for a while. And a lot of my friends who are speakers, it's more obviously very event-based kind of spot dates here and there. So I either have spot dates like a speaker does, or I'll have like a block of time like I did recently where I had like three weeks of almost pretty solid, either it's a travel day (laughs) to get to the next place, or it is, you know, you're getting there the night before and you're going to have to get up the next morning and talk again. And then that night talk again. So I do feel like I get the feast or famine parts that I think a lot of entrepreneurs might be familiar with where I have a time that like I have a block of travel that's like crazy. And then I might have like six weeks at home. (laughs) So I'm just like, oh, back at home eating kale, everything's fine. So some of the things that I've started to do differently um, than I used to is I stopped for the most part, unless I have to taking red eye or early morning flights. So smart. (laughs) I started just being like, you know, I need to come, even if like, I don't speak, let's say until 3 PM, you know, on a Wednesday, I like to fly in on the Tuesday night if I can do it. Mm. Because typically if not, then I would be having to take that early, early flight the day of the event. Then I'm going to get there, rush, 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 you know, sound check and whatever other, you know, responsibilities you have for the event. Whereas when I fly in the night before, First of all, I'm already there. If there are any flight delays or anything like that, I get into the hotel or bed and breakfast or whatever it is I'm staying and actually get a chance to get a full night's sleep. I have discovered that (laughs) turns out very important (laughs) to get a good night's sleep, you know, things like that. And trying to, I try to balance this even, you know, when I was talking with you and Sammy in Nashville, like, I try to balance like when I'm in a city, enjoying the food of that city. So if I'm in the South, I want to eat the fried chicken, but also trying to balance that with like, let's also have some vegetables, girl. Like, (laughs) let's try to balance, you know, I don't want to become a person that can't enjoy food for the pleasure of it, because I think that's a part of what makes food good. But I also want to make sure I'm eating things that are good for me. And the other thing I would say, Brandon, is water, water, water. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like drink all the just drink water, period. But especially when I'm flying and traveling this time, actually, this last run that I took, I ended up getting sick mainly because I wasn't hydrating every day. So my sinuses got irritated my resistance was down. And now I'm out for a few days with a cold that who wants to do that? You know, you want to be able to work or play or do whatever you want to do. So I try to really be disciplined about drinking water because it can really help your body make it through a lot of things. I love that. I think those are all like super helpful. They make sense. They're not things that I do very well. And <laughs> and that's why I asked. Uh, that's amazing. And I really do feel like you... I don't know, when we met and just like following you online for a while, you know, you've struck me as somebody who's 
like pretty like a, a fairly good traveler. Has travel always been? Is it a newer thing? Has it been something that you grew up with? What does that look like for you? Yeah, I totally grew up traveling. I had no idea as a kid that I would do this for a living, but my upbringing totally prepared me for this. I grew up one as a kid of parents who were in the military. So my dad was in the Air Force, I think over 20 years. My mom was in the Army almost eight years. Oh, wow. Both at like different times. So in general, I would have been traveling all the time anyway. And my parents divorced when I was young. So I also had the experience of flying to visit my dad, flying back home to visit my mom. So I started flying as a four-year-old. That's how old I was when I took my first flight. So between that and being raised by military parents, you know, you're always moving around. It's very rare in either branch, from my experience, that you stay in one place for, you know, 10 years or something. You're typically going to be moving around a lot. So I I really learned how to pack well. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like so strange, but my mom like taught me how to, you know, roll my clothes. If I had to pack for a longer trip, I need to take a smaller bag. Like she sort of gave me some of her tips that she learned from the army. So it is really interesting that this life that I led as a child of having to move all the time, of not only having to pack and travel, but also having to meet new people all the time and meet people from all these different backgrounds. As a kid, I somewhat resented that, I think, because I was just so jealous, you know, of my friends that like, like I still have friends from high school that I could go to that same address where their parents live. Their parents still live there. The peppermints are still in the crystal dish, you know, (laughs) like everything's still like the same. And I never really had that experience as a kid. So I kind of resented that growing up. But now I just feel like it prepared me for doing this, for the fact that traveling as, a, as an artist and as a speaker, you're always working with a different team. Every time you go in to do an event or anything, you're working with different people, different backgrounds, different parts of the country. And there are different, you know, sort of codes of ethics sometimes, depending on where you are and when, when you're traveling. So now I look back on it and I'm really grateful. But for a long time, I was like, man, I wish my mama had the same address. (laughs) (laughs) It probably also affected your art as well. You know, you're a poet uh, and, you know, your work, it speaks to the diverse experiences that you've lived. And I didn't grow up having a, a huge diverse set of experiences. I had a pretty diverse friend group, but I still grew up in this small little town. And it wasn't until later that I kind of, had the way that I saw the world challenged by, you know, meeting people who are different and going to new places. But I know that that informs everything that I do, that travel experience. But it's it's cool that you got to have that integrated into your life at such a young age in, in such a casual way. You know, for me, it's always like been a big deal when I travel. And for you, it, it probably didn't feel like a big deal or it felt more normalized. Yeah, it totally did. And my mom... And now, you know, when I talk to her now as like sort of like my mom and I are at that phase of our relationship where like we're talking as friends or we're talking as two women, like she's my mom, but we're also talking as two women talking about life. And so when I was a child, my mom was like a huge stickler about making sure I understood decorum. Like if we went to eat somewhere and it was a type of food 
that I'd never had before. She was interested in wanting me to taste it, but also making sure that I didn't make a big deal of making my face show that I didn't like how Mm. it tasted. And she would say to me, you know, you're going to be in front of kings someday. And Mm. you don't know what kind of dignitaries you're going to be sitting at the table with. And you don't know what their cultural background is going to be, what might be offensive to them if they offer you this food to dine, you know, with them and experience this cultural experience with them. And you're turning up your nose at the food, you know. And of course, when you're a kid, you're just looking at your mom like, Kings, what is she talking about? You know, <laughs> like, I'm trying to eat SpaghettiOs. Like, I don't want to hear whatever this is about. But she was totally right, you know, mm. like she, and I ask her about that now with her now having, you know, this time to look back on herself as a parent. And she's like, I don't know why I said those things to you. <laughs> that's hel- that's so funny. I, I was going to ask, what was that like as a kid? Like, did you buy it or did it feel like, like, what are you talking about? That's hilarious that both of you felt that way. Totally. It reminds me of uh, the intro to your new book. Your book is called How to Fix a Broken Record. And it's so funny. I was, uh, I started reading your book a few weeks ago and I took your book to a movie theater uh, and was like, oh, well, there's going to be like commercials before the movies. Uh, I'll like just start reading it during the commercials, uh, which is such a stupid idea. And I picked it up and then I read the first page of your book, which is like is the dedication page. And then I had gotten to the movie late. And so the movie started. And so I put it down. And then a week later, I picked up your book again. And I realized that I had only one page folded in the book. I I like to dog ear pages. And it was just that one page. And I like that 100% of the book that I had read up to that point was dog eared. Um, Oh, man. So that that's a terrible intro to what I was about to say. (laughs) But um, but I love the dedication page. And I just I just want to read it really quick. Because It maybe even speaks to that thing that your mom said. Uh, You said, my great-grandmother picked cotton and worked in a tobacco factory so my grandmother could work at a hospital, so my mom could become a nurse, so I could become a poet. And I think that's such a beautiful celebration of, of legacy and a celebration of you know, what got you where you are today. And so I was hoping you could just tell me a little bit more about your mother and your grandmother and your great-grandmother because uh, your book dives into a few stories of them. And when I saw you speak in Nashville a few weeks ago, I was just like so drawn to these stories of your family. And so I was just hoping that you could, you know, tell me a little bit more about them. I am going through this time, which I think is good, Brandon. I think this is good as an artist and a creative, but I'm going through a time where I'm like, I don't want to force my work to be something. I want to let the work like tell me what it wants to be. And in the end, so far, the results are very beautiful. But the process of that is sometimes very strange because you don't have a lot of control (laughs) over what's going to come out. You're kind of like letting life and creativity, sort of letting inspiration kind of lead you there. And for this past couple of years, these women that have come before me are are coming up in my work a lot, are showing up in the stories I tell, are showing up if I'm supposed to do a talk. It's like my, my grandma is showing up, you know, in my creative process. 
And so at first, you know, even when I was speaking at Story, I was like, I'm about to go out here to this room of like these like professional, creative people and be like, well, I'm about to tell y'all some stories about my grandma. <laughs> you know, like I felt very inadequate and insufficient, but I really felt like that's what was coming up. And a lot of times for me, it's like, if that's what's coming up, that is what needs to be said. And maybe a part of it is uh, my husband and I were talking about what it's like being in your 30s. Uh, we were watching something. I can't remember what it was we were watching recently, but it was this older thing we were watching. So it was sort of referring to Generation X in the way that a lot of people refer to millennials today. And like, yeah, we got to learn what Generation X needs and, you know, whatever that thing was. <laughs> and my husband and I were talking about how your 30s is this like interesting time, or at least I'll say for me, it's been this interesting time where I feel more comfortable in my skin. I feel more comfortable in what I think I'm supposed to be doing in the world, but I'm also not super cool. <laughs> I'm not like the super cool, young, fresh, <laughs> you know, whatever that would have been for me 10 years ago. And I don't know if a part of this season of life is that I am starting to think more about what is the legacy I leave and how, like where I'm sitting, I'm in this place where there are certain things I know. I've been in my career for, you know, 15 years now. I've been performing spoken word for 20 years. You know, I'm, I'm at a place where I can't say I'm a novice, but I'm still at a place where I can't say I know all the things. I still need mentoring and need, you know, older and more experienced people in my life. But I'm also at this interesting juxtaposition of being able to tell someone else who's earlier on in a journey than I am, uh, being able to tell them some guideposts and some landmarks there. And I think that interesting middle place of sort of being mentor and being mentee has made me think a lot about who are the women that were here before I was here and have taught me so many things. And even in that story about my mom, you know, my mom was teaching me a lot of things that she didn't really know why she was saying those things. They just felt important to her to say, but they totally impacted me and my experiences with my grandmother and my great grandmother. And just thinking about the wonderful legacy that all of those women have left to me and feeling this great sense of debt, but in a really good way that I owe them the good debt of living my life in a way and giving my life in a way to other people. And really for me, a lot of times that is other women who may be younger than me, who may be early on in their creative journey. How can I sort of speak life to them so that some good words will be left for them when I'm not here anymore? So I feel like that's a part of what was coming up in that dedication, what's been coming up and thinking about all these lessons I've learned from my grandmother. I think it's good to honor the people that came before us, you know? That's really beautiful. And I, I think, I feel like you've got such a unique circumstance because from, from when we talked before, when we were just hanging out, it sounds like, does your whole family live, you guys all live in Atlanta? 
yes, most of us live in Atlanta. And that's <laughs> yes. and that's pretty wild because you you moved around a lot, but it sounds you know like I was talking with your husband and you guys like all go over to each other's houses for dinner. Like it's you guys are still like not only like close relationally, but like close in proximity. And so you you maybe get to experience that on a more day to day level than. Uh, the average person might. Yeah, I think so. We we joke about that all the time because our nieces and nephews, we have five nieces and nephews that live here in Atlanta and we're getting a chance to like go to their birthday parties. Like our niece just had a skate party and she really wanted her uncles to skate with her. So speaking of travel, we take this 6 a.m. flight from Philadelphia after sleeping like four hours because that was the way the flight had to be for that (laughs) event and uh get home sleep two hours and now we're up like buying barbies for her party and going to skate with her and we thought about how when we were growing up we got a chance to see our aunts and uncles but mostly at family reunion or holidays things like that we didn't have a lot of birthdays and just random times our aunt or uncle could come pick us up and take us to a movie or come hang out with us or whatever. And it's been really interesting how like our life sort of reversed because my husband also grew up traveling a lot as a kid too. So it's really like, it was strange for us at first, like we live in a city that we've been in for like 10 years, (laughs) over 10 years. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah. So we're trying to really enjoy home and enjoy the adventure that is in that. But I do think that makes our perspective really different. Like I don't have a lot of itching inside to want to like go move and live in this place and backpack through the mountains of such and such place. You know, it's like, I'm like, it's an adventure to me to like be home and wash a dish. I mean, (laughs) I think that's something that that Sammy and I really kind of discovered when, when we got married was uh, we were both traveling a lot when we got married and we, we certainly haven't slowed down, but we found that our, our greatest adventures were like going to the grocery store. You know, it's like these little goofy things that are like become really, really special uh, when uh, you know, you, you just get to, when you choose to celebrate it uh, and you choose to, you know, think of those little things as the things that maybe matter more than these big grandiose things. Yeah. And I I think sometimes there's this idea, especially among many of us as creative thinkers or as artists or, you know, people who sort of dream the dream and actually want to do the dream too, right? I think there is this idea among us that like, we have to always be searching for the adrenaline, that we Mm. have to be looking for that in order to make cool stuff or in order to like do cool things. And that's so my personality type too. Yeah, you know, and not that that's a bad thing, you know, but I think as I get older, I learn like there's a both and. Sometimes it is that you get stuck in this rut in your life and you need to look for the adrenaline, you know, sometimes you do. And sometimes you need to let what seems ordinary and what seems everyday and mundane also be really inspiring to you. And sometimes you can find an equally inspiring story sitting down, talking to your grandma, that you could also find climbing a mountain. So I think there is this really cool opportunity for a both and to find the adventure in some like really amazing, like risk-taking stuff. And also like find the adventure in some everyday conversations too. 
That's really, really good. I was, I mean, I was just reading this article about, I, I guess, I mean, it was a little bit of a, of a promo for a book that's coming out about like how to have good conversations. But, but I was really drawn to the article because it, it talked a lot about, it actually, I think it used the phrase like the adventure of conversation. And it might've been one of those articles that was like a little bit mildly shaming millennials, which I'm, I'm not a huge fan of because I think us millennials are, are pretty rad, uh, which is, you know, something that probably an article would quote as a reason that the millennials aren't <laughs> rad. Uh, but I'm just going to hold on to that thought. Uh, <laughs> but it was talking about like the importance of vulnerability in conversations and the importance of, you know, not just letting a conversation flow naturally, but uh, bringing in a little bit more depth than, you know, you would naturally be comfortable with because it pays off. And it's I mean, I think that the article was claiming that it's like a lost art form and that might be true. Uh, but I, you know, when I read that, I got this energizing feeling of, of this idea of the adventure of the conversation. And I like that. I don't know. I think it's cool. I love that idea. I, I feel like the word I always use is nosy. Mm, <laughs> that's funny. Um, I, I feel like that's a part of why I love like interviewing people or, you know, when I'm talking to people like, you know, when you and my husband and Sammy and I, we were all uh, talking, you know, it's like, I, I really am like, just sort of a nosy person a little bit. Like I meet people <laughs> and I'm like, what's up with that? Like, I wonder, like, wonder what he thinks of that. I wonder how she started doing that. You know, I mean, maybe in part it's curiosity, but you know, I think we use that word to make it sound better. It's really nosiness. But if you use nosiness right, it can, A, I think help you have better conversations and B, I think it can also, it can help you not always feel like you have to be talking to the most important person in the room. Oh, tell me more about that. Cause I, I feel like, and maybe I think this too, because my work, like the work that you do takes us into a lot of conference space, you know? And so, you know, when I first would go into conferences, it's like, oh man, it's like, you go in the green room and Malcolm Gladwell's there. <laughs> you feel like I really need to sit down and talk to Malcolm Gladwell, you know, and not that you shouldn't, but sometimes you are also sitting next to someone who's just as awesome as Malcolm Gladwell is. You just don't know that person's name or have you haven't seen their name on the front of a book or, you know, you haven't seen them on television before, but they may have a really awesome story to tell. And I've, I've learned to focus less on who we sometimes deem to be like the most important people. Not that I'm saying if you don't get a chance to talk about Gladwell, you shouldn't because you totally should. <laughs> I'm just saying if like five other people are sitting there next to you at lunch, be nosy about them. Ask them questions about themselves. Find out who they are. I, I have gotten to know a lot of really amazing people doing wonderful things in the world by being a little nosy about them. So I think that is good for conversation. That's a really good like piece of advice. And I feel like that's something that I can continue to grow in for sure. In a lot of ways, that's how I kind of got my start was just this natural curiosity or maybe nosiness where I would just stop strangers on the street and have conversations with them. And that was when I first moved to Portland, Oregon. And it was so... It was so valuable for me personally to learn from all these people who normally I wouldn't end up getting surrounded by, but then to also learn that craft. And I feel like that's something that 
I can certainly continue to to hone and to learn from because maybe I've forgotten this sometimes because I I just want to talk to Malcolm Gladwell, but because uh, <laughs> he's awesome, he's though. So awesome. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about. Uh, the title for your book. Your book is called How to Fix a Broken Record. I love the title. What does that mean to you? You know, what what is that kind of paradigm? Uh, someone was asking me, because my, my first book is called Breaking Old Rhythms, and this one is called How to Fix a Broken Record. So somebody was like, do you like broken things? Do you like <laughs> music? Like, what's what's the deal there? So maybe a combination of both. But I think a part of it is I... Out of all of the arts, I find music the most inspiring. Music is the art that speaks to me the most, that speaks to me so deeply. I've had a lot of you know life-changing moments listening to songs and being at concerts and just looking at the trajectory of a lot of music artists. So I think that definitely is this sort of backdrop in the book. But the idea of the broken record, I was really, so I knew that I wanted to write this book and I knew the form I wanted to take. I knew it was going to have shorter chapters, sort of take on a topic and write sort of short, shorter chapter, like essay style almost. So I knew that, but then I was like, well, crap, now I don't know what I'm supposed to write about. <laughs> and I um, was having a conversation with my dad, actually, and it was tough tough conversation, tough time for our family at the time. But out of that tough conversation came some really healing things for me. And I think as we get older and we examine our family of origin and we find a lot of beautiful things there sometimes, and we find a lot of hard stuff there too, but it's our family. It's like the air that we breathe in a way. So there are certain things about it that we have to get older and experience other things to realize like, oh, that thing I think about life or think about the world that I learned from my family of origin is not necessarily good or right for me. you know. And I think um, talking to my dad that day, I just realized like, man, I've been holding on to a lot of things as if I should take the blame for them or as if, you know, these things must be my fault. I sort of internalized a lot of those things. And in our conversation that day, even though it was a tough conversation, I realized, hey, those things aren't my fault. I've been putting a lot of blame on myself that I shouldn't put on myself. And uh, really the first image that came to my mind, which is totally going to tell my age, Brandon, (laughs) (laughs) the first image that came to my mind was a film strip. And back in the day when you were in school, whatever, and they'd be showing you the film strip where they had to actually like load the film (laughs) into the projector, right? And you'd watch it. And if your teacher didn't catch it, as soon as it was over, it would just wow, like unwound itself until you could hear the strip flapping at the end that it had like nothing else, you know, to show. And I left that conversation with my dad. That was like the the image really that was in my mind, that there had been this film strip sort of playing inside of me about my worth or my value or, you know, how hard I should be on myself about things. And to literally feel that film strip come to an end in a conversation. And I thought, man, this is a really life-changing moment that I've had from a simple conversation, really, of sitting down, you know, with my parent and talking. 
And I thought, man, I wonder how many other people have had that moment or need that moment. And then I thought, well, I can't say this book is about film strips because I don't know how many people are going to be like, what is that? You know. So you're like, let's just go a little bit more modern and let's talk about a record. <laughs> of course, right? Completely modern. modern, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like hipster, hipster modern, exactly. I feel like. You know, and I, that was the next, you know, metaphor right next to it that I felt communicated what I was feeling in that, you know, film strip image that was in my mind, you know, that for those of us that are back listening to, to records, I mean, I'm married to a DJ, so there were going to be records in this house, period. (laughs) You know, that was going to be a thing. I had to get my own like house collection of records that do not belong to the DJ so that they could stay downstairs and I could listen to them anytime I wanted to. So those of us that are getting back to, you know, listening to the record player or or those people that might remember listening to that when they were young, you know, when dust gets into the groove of a record, it makes the needle skip. It makes it make that annoying sound that that's how you know you need to fix the needle or you need to turn the record over or you need to like, you know, get some dust off the record, however. And how many of us have things like that in our life that are making that noise, that are saying something's dusty here, something's broken right here. And the thing that's interesting about LPs, about vinyl records, different from cassettes and different from CDs and even listening to our music on digital platforms or streaming is once, typically once a record gets broken, you really can't do that much to repair it. You know, it's really like, it just has to be replaced at a certain point. If it breaks in the middle, what are you going to do? If all the tape comes out of a cassette, you might be able to like get that thing wound back inside there. But you know, when a record breaks, I mean, you can't fix it. It has to be replaced. And how many of us have those broken records inside, like I did, that really need to be replaced. And I love the idea that we can have new music. We can have new melodies in our life too, while we embrace some of the good old melodies, but we don't have to hold on to the stuff that's repeating things that we shouldn't keep anymore in our life. That is so beautiful. I love that. I love that. And I've got records at home, so I understand what you're talking about. (laughs) I promise you're not too old. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm like, I'm not old, right? Except when I go to a college, then I'm definitely old. (laughs) No, you're... Okay, and it's so funny because I was preparing for this conversation and I was just searching your name on the internet and I came up with, you know, this new podcast you started specifically for this book and there weren't any reviews on it yet and so i i actually left your first like a little five-star rating on itunes oh um, fancy and and so but i because there weren't any reviews yet i, I was like i am the first person to hear this podcast and i <laughs> yeah. felt really fancy i'm sure that's not true i'm sure lots of people <laughs> have but so i started listening to you know this first episode that you recorded and it was just a conversation with your grandma, which is so beautiful. And obviously you included her in your, you know, dedication to your book. And I heard you sharing stories about her when, uh, when we were at story. Uh, but in the podcast, she mentioned that her birthday is coming up. And so first of all, happy birthday to your grandma. Uh, but also I love her storytelling abilities. I love the way that she like 
that she uses her life and the things that have happened to her to communicate ideas. And that's something really beautiful that I think you've done in this book is, is you've taken your stories uh, and you've, you know, you've used them to communicate ideas that are important to you. You know, is that something that your grandma passed on to? Like, do you feel like she taught you how to do that specifically or did you learn from osmosis or is it just in the DNA? Like, (laughs) what does that look like? You know, the more I spend time with her and listen to her, I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally got a lot of this from my grandma. (laughs) So I think there, I think there is some osmosis just in the ways that she, even as a child, she sort of took me alongside her just while she was living her life. And I think that's some of the best way to learn from people is when they're just like, I'm going to the grocery store, come with me, I'm doing these things. So I think some of it was this osmosis of just being around her and in her presence and watching how she processed the world. And then I do listen to her now and think, man, that lady knows how to tell a story. And she also knows how to be a good character in a story because (laughs) I have so many stories of hers that people are like, tell the one about, you know, like, tell the one about when she first met Madden, tell the one about, you know, she's like a legend among my friends, which I really love, you know, and I'm just really excited to celebrate her birthday. She's turning 85 years old and it has been just a big year for her. We actually have been celebrating her birthday since the summertime because she said so, and we're not going to not like do what she says. But it's been interesting um, when I was interviewing her for the podcast, you know, she's my grandma. So it's like there's a lot, obviously, I know about her going into the interview. And she still said so many things that surprised me. And she had this really, really amazing moment over the summer. And she retells it in her own words um, on the podcast. But just for me, like, like me experiencing it as her granddaughter And I talked a little bit about this at Story Conference that my grandma, you know, had not been to a pool, had not been inside of a pool before this summer at 84 years old. And she's sharing with us, you know, growing up in North Carolina, growing up at that time in the segregated South, that there was no pool in her city that Black people were allowed to go to. And then she talks about how the only like swimming place that Black people in that area had was really like a like a water hole, almost like a man-made lake of some sort. But there were no safety measures out there. So, you know, there were a lot of people that uh, drowned during that time also. And so she talks about all those things and just kind of, you know, getting older and not really having an opportunity later on in her life to go to a pool. But she was pressing us so hard, Brandon, to learn how to swim. And I was like, why is this such a big deal to my grandma? Like, I don't like the water. Because you didn't know the story. No, I didn't know. I didn't know the story. So I was like, she wants us to swim so bad. I don't care (laughs) about that at all. So we were all at at a beach house over the summer with our family. And I was inside because that's how I prefer to be. And she was outside with her great grandkids. And my husband runs inside. He's like, you got to come outside. You got to take a picture of your grandma. She just told us it's her first time in a pool ever in her life. Go out there. My grandma's out there in her cute little bathing suit with her sunglasses on talking about, take a picture of me, Mina. (laughs) So I took a picture of her and just how inspiring that was to me 
that even in my grandma's story is this broken record, is this, you know, injustice, is this wrong that was done. And even at 84 for her to say, and I'm not going to wait. I don't care that it's been 84 years. I'm getting in the pool now. And it just really inspired me, Brandon, to think about, you know, what are the things that are holding me back, you know, that I'm like, well, I don't know if I, you know, make enough money to do that. Or I don't know, you know, at the age I am or whatever those things are that hold us back, you know, like what's my stuff that I need to get in the pool now. So I am really just looking forward to celebrating this lady's life and playing Scrabble with her this weekend. But I I hope that her story inspires other people like it did to me, that we all need to find our way to get in the pool sometimes, you know? Amina is such a force for good. She's someone that I feel like doesn't try to make herself sound profound. She just naturally is so incredibly relevant and her words always pierce something deep inside me. She's the best. I always want to remember to live that balance of pursuing adrenaline, but also pursuing the ordinary and the mundane. And like she said, finding an equally inspiring story in talking to your grandma as in climbing a mountain. Also, here are two other takeaways from Mina's talk that I love. Number one, remember to get in the pool. And two, remember to replace that broken record. I'm kind of laughing at myself thinking about someone coming up to me with those two pieces of advice if I didn't have any context for this conversation. You know what I mean? Like, get in the pool, replace broken record. I don't know fully what those mean, but that's what I love about Amina. She's so profoundly relevant in everything she says holds so many layers of meaning. She takes something ordinary in our lives, like records and swimming pools, and makes them extraordinary in personal application. I just, I'm a huge fan of Amina. She's the best, and I hope that we stay BFFs forever and eat lots of barbecue together, because she has almost as good of taste in barbecue as I do. And so... And also, I definitely want to put it on my bucket list to attend one of her family gatherings and maybe meet her grandma. Happy birthday, grandma. Not my grandma, her grandma. Well, also happy birthday to both of my grandmas. If you want to learn more about Amina and what she's up to, get her book, Fixing a Broken Record, or check out her new podcast. You can just search her name and uh, you can listen to her conversation with her grandma, among other episodes. And you should also totally follow Amina on social media. If you're new to Sounds Good, we would love for you to stick around. We love recommending, you know, maybe a podcast you haven't heard yet. Uh, And so here's two recommendations for you to check out. One is a recent one that I really loved with former prosecutor Adam Foss. And another one is, oh my goodness, this one was so much fun. It was with the mastermind behind the hit blog Post Secret. His name is Frank Warren. Check out those two conversations. We'd love for you to listen to some of our older episodes because, man, we've got so many amazing people we've got to talk with. This podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good, 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 a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. I also want to thank Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio for editing and mixing the show. And I'd also like to thank Christy Karenbrock for her production support. You can find lots more hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at at goodgoodgoodco. 
We also create a beautiful quarterly newspaper. It's called The Good Newspaper. And every single issue, we celebrate the people, ideas, and movements that are shaping the world for the better. You can find out about our good newspaper, our good newsletter, this podcast right here, and everything else we do at good, good, good at goodgoodgood.co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and do some good this week, and we'll be back next week with another inspiring story from an incredible person. Sound good? 